Welcome to Circle Sanctuary Network Podcast, brought to you by Circle Sanctuary, one of the oldest nature spirituality churches in the United States, connecting people of nature-centered paths around the world. Join us through the week for a variety of shows discussing various topics, celebrating the divine in all of its forms, through nature worship, rituals, education, and building bridges of community. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Blue Marble Podcast. I'm your host, Rev Charbert. Thanks for tuning in. Here we share personal stories about love and faith in action for our planet and for each other. And our purpose is to educate and to motivate. This episode, Jess LeClaire, PhD, will be talking about nursing for planetary health. Dr. Jessica LeClaire is a clinical faculty member and postdoctoral trainee at the University of Wisconsin-Madison School of Nursing. Past experiences include work as a public health nurse for Public Health Madison and Dane County, and as a community health nurse for the Ho-Chunk Nation. Her long-term goal is to build a research program that identifies and facilitates effective public health practices that advance planetary health. Welcome, Jess. Thank you so much. So glad that you're with us. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm really looking forward to hearing more about your story. And well, I mean, let's go ahead and start there. If you don't mind taking us back um, you know, in our conversations before this podcast, you were saying that nature has always been really important to you yeah, and that it's been an important part of, uh, of the work that you're now doing. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. Thanks so much for, for asking that. Um, so interestingly, I, and this is why this podcast is so dear and special to me, actually, is that I've been a member of Circle Sanctuary for as long as I can remember. Um, I grew up actually um, attending Circle Sanctuary gatherings and rituals and just being raised um, with nature spirituality as our religion um, in our mm-hmm. household. Uh, my mother introduced me to that. And mm-hmm. um, one of my earliest memories is actually at um, a pagan spirit gathering uh, probably in the late 70s or early 80s whenever it first started I was <laughs> four years old I don't know and mm-hmm. um, you know we were all dancing and singing songs of the goddess and um, and there was one point when you know the song ended and uh, Reverend Selena Fox said okay now everyone put your hand on the earth so we all put our hands on the earth and she said, mm-hmm. feel the heartbeat, feel, feel her heartbeat. And I felt it very strongly as a very young child. And of course, now I can look back at that moment and, you know, like intellectually understand that, okay, we were dancing. So I was feeling probably my own heartbeat in my hand and it was pulsing through. But as a child, it was like, oh she's alive. This is a living being that I am walking on. And I just looked mm-hmm. at everything differently from mm-hmm. that point onward. Mm-hmm. The earth is alive, that we are all interconnected. We are all on, 
a part of her and just to walk treadly, walk lightly, be careful, walk with care. And that set me up. Um, and now, of course, I know also that scientifically, we are all interconnected. Um, mm-hmm. this is something that indigenous science and medicine has been saying, you know, for millennia since the beginning of time. So it is, <laughs> it is very full circle for me. Um, mm. But I think that very early experience really fostered my my passion and my deep care for the earth and everything that I do. Oh, that's a beautiful formative faith memory. I, I love you sharing that. I also, uh, for our listening audience, uh, Circle Sanctuary is really the nation's oldest and most established nature-based religion church. It includes a variety of indigenous and neo-pagan groups um, and a lot of people who are interreligious and interfaith who just really care about uh, revering and protecting the planet. It's a regional center, but it's also a national network. And, um, you know, it's funny. I, I was at an event a few years ago where Al Gore had um, physicians on the stage talking to him about the climate crisis and public health. And they were describing the planet as a living organism and saying, if you imagined an organism um, with an invasive species that's killing them, how do you imagine that organism would be responding? We are seeing the planet demonstrating many of those symptoms now. And I thought, um, you know, talk about the planet as a living organism. Yeah. So thank you for that initial memory. Um, as you go forward, tell us about how you got to nursing. How how did that become prominent as a career right. choice for you? Yeah, that was a that was quite the the long path to nursing. I come from a family of you know writers, artists, filmmakers. Um, so I you know initially got really involved in the theater um, with poetry and writing, and I actually went to college. Um, for English and theater. And then I started my, I took enough environmental studies classes to minor. (laughs) And, you know, it was through those classes, the environmental studies classes that I started to really learn about this interconnection of the, of the effects that place has on people. Um, Wasn't a lot of focus on health, but that I think was sort of what drew me is this interconnection of of place and people and health and, um, and how you can build a sense of place um, where you're living. And that was a, a, a pretty big theme, I think, in the environmental movement in the 90s was, you know, if we can help people feel connected to the places where they're living, working, learning, playing, that they then will feel more driven to care for the surrounding environment that they're living in. And so that really drew me in. And, um, I also became really interested in like natural healing and natural medicines. Um, I got to know some herbalists, some people that were involved in like all different ways of, of healing their bodies um, through natural, natural ways. And I became really interested in becoming a naturopathic doctor after a a few years. Um, But then I started to really think about, you know, at that time, integrative medicine was not being covered by insurance. It was also very one and one very looking at populations and the and how again we can start to foster this this connection, um, this nourishing relationship with the with the surrounding environments. And so, 
these questions really started to draw me closer to public health. And I just, I didn't really know what public health was. Again, don't come from a, from a family of um, health providers or anyone in healthcare. And so it mm-hmm. took me a little while to find it, but that really clicked for me. You know, how like public health is, is population health and connecting again, looking at the social determinants of health, the environmental de- determinants of health and how people are really um, formed through their um, relationship with the places where they're living, learning, working, playing. Then I found public health nursing within that, which is really mm. supporting mm. people's journeys, whether you're working with individuals or families or communities, neighborhoods, um, populations, to to support these um, nourishing journeys towards health and to really do some organizing. If you're working at the community level, you can work towards community organizing. You can work in policy, you know, mm, systems mm-hmm. change, things like that. So the, the ability to work at all these different layers from mm-hmm. individuals all the way to policy and systems levels um, to holistically support health in the same place where I'm living. Right. Um, so I decided to go back to school and get a second bachelor's degree in nursing so that I can mm a public health nurse. Um, I knew that was really my calling and that's really what I wanted to do. Again, drawing from my understanding of health in place, but building that into providing direct care to communities that I'm working in. Um, So that's how I found nursing. (laughs) I love it. You kind of have that, you kind of in a way have a very circuitous uh, way into this calling as well. And I work as a healthcare chaplain. I'm an advanced practice board certified chaplain with a lot of years in, at doing that now. And I work, um, have a specialty in, in palliative care in particular as people deal with serious illness, but aren't yet hospice eligible. And um, very circuitous, <laughs> unconventional way into that. And um, theater and broadcasting first first career so a lot of those expressive techniques you know being a big part of our background which uh makes it very relatable to me but i'm really understanding what you're saying too about place and connection in in spiritual care we talk often about bioregion someone having a connection to a spiritual bioregion in where you feel a homing a belonging a grounding of your well-being that is uh, inexplicable. You feel it when you're there, you know it. And it is a deep, deep sense of place. And in North America right now, the way we live in our society, it's hard for a lot of people to find that, but it is so curative. It is so healing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I was, I was a, um, really interested in, in horticulture therapy and all different ways that people can really deeply connect with you know, the living beings that are more than human um, surrounding them. And I think that's really powerful medicine. Mm. Mm-hmm. So you got involved with climate justice work too. <laughs> I mean, public health, climate justice. Oh, the two are intersectional like crazy, but I mean, how, how did that, how did you make those connections? how did that work for you? Yeah. Well, you know, interestingly, um, my my public health nursing clinical when I was a student was with the Ho Chunk Nation, mm. and so um, I ended. I loved it so much. I turned it into like a year long internship beyond just the three month clinical, and then um, they hired me as a as a community health nurse after um, I graduated. And I was so I think that um, you know I'll get I'll get to my awakening around climate justice in a minute, but I just wanted to share that you know right now we're on Ho Chunk land. You know the I'm calling you from. Um, 
the ancestral home of the Ho-Chunk Nation. This is a place that they've called De Jope. Actually, it's not, it's colonially known as Madison, Wisconsin, but it's the Ho-Chunk have named it De Jope since time immemorial. So it's really um, powerful and very important that mm-hmm. I, I work for them. Mm-hmm. Um, understand nursing through their worldviews and their lens and mm. um, their cosmolo- cosmologies around healing and and interconnections within nature and so on. So that, again, just, I think, reinforced, um, again, some of those early childhood experiences that I had, but mm-hmm. really keeping how I'm approaching nursing and sort of, I think, the lens that I'm looking through. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. So I, wor- I worked with them for a few years, and then um, I... I took a position with our local city county health department where I was doing community-based public health nursing, which is where we, um, at the invite from a, from different neighborhoods around town, we're invited to work with them around whatever health um, health inequity that they want to work on, whatever they identify that is, you know, they want to um, work on to, to promote health. So I, w- I was invited to a neighborhood on the north side of Madison to support their goals around building healthy opportunities for youth in the area. And interestingly, it was at a neighborhood meeting where a local elementary school principal said, you know, children from this neighborhood have been increasingly missing school um, Mm. over the past few years. We've noticed an uptick from this neighborhood with kids coming to school with increased respiratory problems, Mm. early onset asthma diagnoses, and so on. And this was this meeting happened around like 20, 2011. So, mm-hmm. and so the family said, well, you know, our, our apartment buildings have never recovered from the flood from 2008, you know, oh, well. so now, now it's 2011. And every time it rains just a few inches, um, our basements are flooded because these apartment buildings are low-income family multi-unit housing. And so they're, they're sinking into the ground. It's built on a floodplain. Mm. And, so the more that I learned about this, I learned that this is happening in other neighborhoods around Madison too, where we have these sort of, you know, these pockets of poverty that are um, where communities of color, low-income communities, where there's multifamily housing that's built on floodplains and the apartments are sinking into the ground. Wow. Madison's surrounded by by a couple of lakes. And so um, the groundwater is just saturated. Mm-hmm. And um and at the time I was like, oh, we, we should do something about this. We should, you should fix it. Let's call the landlords because the landlords were just boarding up the basements at this point. They were, they were filled with mold and oh, the point oh. where the mold had um, seeped mm. through the vents. Mm-hmm. So, so these were very toxic buildings to reside in and the families were very sick. And this is why increasingly kids were coming to school sick with respiratory diseases. Yeah. Um, and so the families asked us to please not call the landlords because they were very afraid of eviction. Um, mm-hmm. Madison has very few affordable housing. Um, it's actually an affordable housing crisis. So this is where I started to see the intersection be, be, between, a, you know, having increased frequency of rainfall and precipitation in Madison. This is a community that, that is increasingly um, becoming sick from that due to mold building up. And it's this intersection of, you know, housing justice issues, too. Yeah. And so I just started to see this intersection of climate change, health inequities and things playing out. And I thought, well, this is clearly a public health role. Um, what I mm. learned, and tr- this is a longer story, so I'll try to make it it's short. But what I essentially learned after speaking to multiple agencies within our city, speaking to stormwater engineering, city planning, our own public health department, 
is that people really felt like they didn't want to put in the time and the effort to advocate for this community on the front lines of climate change. And at the time, wait, I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt. They didn't want to put in the time to advocate for that, them because right. they weren't it's, their neighbors or. It's hard to say. Hmm, the reasons okay. why. Um, but the reason that was given to me is because that the, the lakes um, in Madison are controlled by our state DNR department of natural resources who really at the time was under an administration that was not um, was only listening to people that were lakefront property owners that wanted to maintain their docks and their boats and their property values because the lake levels would have to be shifted and changed in order to, you know, address the flooding issues with communities um, that were living in floodplains. So rather than adjust the lake levels and make people, the wealthy white people (laughs) upset about that, they just said, Oh, it's out of our hands. There's nothing we can do. Hmm. And and I was actually told that, um, you know, there's nothing we can do as a health department. Climate change is a global issue. We we have no control over the climate changing. This is not our role, actually. So just this is not even nursing. We don't know how to even account for your time addressing this. So please go back to your work with organizing around, you know, healthy opportunities for you. Asthma. Yeah, asthma. <laughs> Treatment of asthma. Exactly. And so, which is yeah. a huge impact of climate change. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. So across the board. So that's sort of a um mm. a story of failure. Uh, is kind of how I look at mm, it. I, I spent mm. a few years trying to affect change. Um, eventually, I this is what drove me to pursue a master's in public health so I could study this intersection of climate change, health, and equity, because I knew that what I was seeing was real, but I didn't know how to address it. I didn't know how to put language or words around it. And yeah. people me were saying it's, it's not really our role in public health. Mm. So mm-hmm. I eventually... Um, yeah, I, I went back to school and I learned that there is, a, this actually is a thing and it's called climate justice and climate injustices. And um, and I learned that there's a lot happening around our country to address um, these issues. And there's a lot of support actually for, for local public health to get involved. Mm-hmm. I'd say, I, I'd say from the community organizing side, if you can get public health involved, that's a boon. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah that That's right. Unfortunately, we we didn't. Um, you know, I learned a lot about it. I actually, our state, um, for those of you that are listeners that are in Wisconsin, we are one of the 13 states and cities that is funded by the CDC to address climate and health. So we have a climate wow. program with our Department of Health Services at the state, and their role is to support local public health in addressing these mm-hmm. issues. Mm-hmm. For reasons that I'll never really understand, our health department was not interested still, even at, even with the ability of getting these resources to um, address the health effects of climate change locally. So, um, you know, I went through a period of time where, frankly, I almost wanted to leave nursing and wanted to leave public health. I just felt in such despair at this. Mm. I lost mm-hmm. hope, but I mm. uh, had wonderful mentors and men- and that really encouraged me to bring this, everything that I was learning into nursing education and to really inspire and empower the future nursing workforce to not only understand that, yes, this is nursing and then this is the role and responsibilities of nursing and public health and frankly, everyone in healthcare, 
but also there's a need to fill the missing local leadership gaps that we're having, not just yeah. in that, but all around, you know, the nation and worldwide. Um, Cause if we want to effectively integrate, you know, climate and health into policy and govern and governance, we have to include it in our education of health professions worldwide. So but that was very and that, not to interrupt you, but that's yeah. been a whole challenge is actually getting climate change related curriculum in schools from K one through 12 and then in higher education, you know, helping people to see the integration, the intersectionality of the climate movement and climate change, its impact solutions. Um, but, but really the integration of solutions and advocacy into every discipline because it affects every discipline. <laughs> yeah, it does. It's, it's actually um, in, in planetary health. So I eventually learned about planetary health, but they say mm. it's, it's transdisciplinary. So it's even beyond interdisciplinary. It supersedes mm. disciplines. And it's, mm. it's something that we all work together with these common goals and these common values and principles moving forward. So the, mm, yeah. the, need, the need to have shared language around this is a transdisciplinary issue. I love that. Thank you for that language. Climate change is a transdisciplinary issue. Yeah, that's perfect. That's perfect. So once you started to feel climate justice and nursing, your nursing careers moving along, did you do nursing work before you started doing climate justice work or did they just out of the out of the starting gate? They were yeah, both there. No, I had been working for a number of years in in public health. So I you know, we have multiple programs in public health. So I, I worked as a, a community-based public health nurse where we um, did some community organizing with another neighborhood. Similarly around, there's a lot of concern for youth. And so, um, but interestingly, neighbors are organizing around building a sense of place, building a sense of belonging, right? Addressing these social environmental determinants of health. Um, so we were already um, working closely with with neighbors to address things like um, access to healthy foods, right? Because they're losing their access to their walkable grocery stores. So we were working on building um, community gardens um, and having um, you know pickers plots for people, having children's gardens, um, community gardens, um, working to beautify the neighborhood, partnering with local community-based organizations to create employment opportunities and training, and so on and so forth, and. Um, working with local housing authority and and all of this. So we were working on multiple issues, but it wasn't until this neighborhood, like you said, another discipline, an educator said, children from our school are increasingly sick, that I started to really make the connection. And perhaps it was because of my early training and environmental studies and my, my connection with the earth and just having this worldview and this lens working closely with the Ho-Chunk Nation as well. But I, I was seeing like, okay, there's this, deep interconnection with the environment that's not healthy that Uh isn't Uh and everyone has a right to health everyone has a right to have a nourishing relationship with our environments and so I knew deep down that this just wasn't um it, it it was my role as a public health nurse and I would my my mission now is to really um understand what nurses are doing strategically in partnership with communities um around the nation to address these factors, but also how can we make, um, increase, um, facility, increase the facilitators and decrease the barriers, I suppose, to nurses being able to do this work as a part of their daily role and responsibility as a nurse, regardless of their setting. 
Well, yeah. Other than chaplaincy, I yeah. would say that nursing is is among the medical, the purely medical disciplines, one of the more holistic in training and approach. I've been schooled by my nursing friends <laughs> with that. But I, I want to go back and I want to go back and just um, highlight something you just said. I don't want it to slip by. I sort of felt like a Bernie Sanders meme just popped up in my face. You know, where he's crossing his arms and sitting there. When you said, "Every healthcare is a right." Everyone has the right to health care. Everyone has the right to a healthy relationship with the environment. That is definitely a core value that we share. Um, it is not that does not appear to be a right that everyone agrees is an inalienable right. So do you want to say more about why? Why is healthcare a right? Yeah, I mean, health is a human right is is a core value in nursing. Um, it, it guides um, everything that we do, and really um, having the right to health is you know equated with being f- fully human, right? We how can we um, participate fully um, to our full potentials if we are not healthy? Um, it's really impossible. And so, you know, along with that, I would even go further to say, you know, access to um, shelter is a human right. Access to healthy foods is a human right. All of these social determinants of health um, really must be then by default um, basic fundamental rights that everyone has to enjoy. Oh, hi, puppy. I see your for our listeners, one of my dogs is uh, is joining us on the podcast. Thank you. Yes. And yeah. she would agree that a healthy relationship to her environment is absolutely a basic right. But that's a connection uh, a lot of people don't make even in healthcare. Right. Um, although it's so funny to me now, like how places in Japan are having like forest bathing or things where you go, go figure, go spend more time in nature. It's healthy. You belong there. Well, and it's, <laughs> it's interesting because, you know, this a central tenet of, of planetary health, but also, as I mentioned earlier, indigenous science and medicine have been saying forever that to harm the earth is to harm the self. Mm-hmm, we yes. are the earth. We are deeply interconnected. And now, you know, as you alluded to earlier, um, you know, like the, the 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 Gaia theory and hypothesis have been proven by Western science also and in, in, in physics to be actually correct that we are the earth, the earth is alive and we are all interconnected within it. And so it's really this um, it, colonial um, mm. you know, mindset that mm-hmm. this, this idea of separation from nature that mm-hmm. is just fundamentally incorrect and wrong, but yet you see how it guides um, everything that we're doing. So if if we are, you know, viewing us as being severed from nature, then we can treat this other entity, which is nature, however we want, because we are the dominant species, you know, there's this higher mm-hmm. dominant nature to it. So anyways, I think that 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 is behind a lot of the thinking that has led us to these planetary crises that that we're experiencing is this belief in the fundamental separation between human and the, and the earth when actually we are deeply interconnected. So I think a lot of the work to that's really essential when we're teaching these concepts around planetary health, climate justice, and so on is to really also be including, you know, scholars and primarily indigenous scholars and others who are really, you know, fostering this, this, um, this fundamental truth that we are interconnected with the nature and that that's a critical paradigm that we have to be operating from before we 
know what to do to address it, if that makes sense. It does. And I'm thinking um, worldviews matter and yeah. words matter. And, you know, as you say, I, I like how you call it a colonialist a worldview, because I, I equate it with the modern age and the age of colonialism in a lot of ways. There were a lot of industrial and scientific advancements, but it was colonialism as well. And at the same time, that was an egocentric worldview. Humankind is the apex of all species is the understanding. And we are apart from nature and nature is basically a bunch of resources for us, you know, which is in my mind, pathological by nature, <laughs> by nature. And then you've got a return to, or hopefully a reclaiming of an ecocentric worldview in which we are an integrated part of nature, not apart from it, but a co-equal member of the natural world. And that, that shifts everything. It shifts everything in our understanding of well-being and health. And yeah. I could yeah, go on, but I, I won't because I want to actually ask you about how you got to your doctoral work because oh. you just finished a doctorate. Congla congratulations. Oh, you. you know, yeah. and, and you have this wonderful thesis focused on climate justice work implemented by nurses. Exactly. Yeah, that's right. So, you know, I joined the university in 2018. Um you know, as a nurse educator, as I mentioned, to, like I said, empower the future nursing workforce to be able to address these issues. And I thought that I would just turn to the literature and look it up, look up all the evidence and bring it into the classroom and we would go. What I found was there was a real lack of evidence. There really haven't been the studies done to bring into the classroom to inform evidence-based practice, because as a nursing discipline, everything that we do has to be evidence-based. Now, we could debate what is evidence and what does that mean? Um, but it certainly isn't in the literature. There really aren't like massive studies being done that we can, so we can know what's effective. And because I'm particularly interested in understanding what are the best practices for nurse community partnerships to advance climate justice, to advance planetary health, it is really essential that we understand what works, what are the best approaches, um, and in particular, so we don't go in thinking that we have all the answers as nurses and we know what to do. And then we just tell the community what to do, right? In these scenarios, we want to be acting from a place of deep, authentic partnership. And what does that mean? And what does that look and feel like? And how do we know when we're being effective in that work as, as nurses? And so that ultimately drove me back to school once again. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> to so mm -hmm. In 2019, I, I joined the, the PhD program in nursing at the same institution where I was also teaching. So I, I continued to teach while I was also um, a PhD student so that I could study what is known around nursing strategies for environmental justice. I did a, a, an entire scoping review, which is just looking at everything that's out there, whether it's on Google Scholar or anywhere in gray literature, everything, what's known around um, environmental justice nursing strategies, and even what's being suggested. So, so what are nurse writers and authors even suggesting might be a possibility? So, is that there was, much out there? Is there a big body of research literature out there about this? There's not a big body. Of, mm -hmm, of mm -hmm. I, I did find about 24 studies or so, mm. um, which was which was really helpful around environmental justice, which which is a huge gamut, right? Um, going back to 1980, which is kind of when um, mm. you know, the environmental justice movement kind of kicked off, at least at the the national federal level, even though it had been has roots all the way back to um, indigenous movements and so on. Mm. 
So, but that's, that was what I looked at. And I found a number of things that people said they were looking at, that they were studying, including nurse community partnerships for environmental justice. And that was really exciting to see. I also at the time had become quite involved with um, the Alliance of Nurses for Healthy Environments, which is Mm. a national and international nursing um, organization focused exclusively on health and the environment and nursing. Did you say that again? The national, what was that? It's called the Alliance of Nurses for Healthy Environments. It's also the Alliance called, of Nurses for Healthy Environments. Great. Yeah, it's also called Annie for short. So, Annie. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I was involved with them, and that that also was a group that really kind of kept me going. And I was able to connect with nurses from all over the world that said, "Yes, this is this is our role. This is our responsibility." And I was able to connect with nurse researchers and educators and others that were doing exactly what I was doing, but in different parts around the nation and in other countries. So that was really, really cool. Exciting. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so, and so I, um, you know, fast forward, I guess, to my dissertation along the way, I learned a lot about um, planetary health, which is another connected movement um, with climate change and climate justice. It's an um, a movement that I think for public health started in about 2015 when they looked at something called planetary boundaries, which is basically how much damage can the earth handle before it's um, impossible for humans and other life to really survive and continue to thrive um, on the earth. And so I learned about things in addition to climate change, which is one boundary that's, that's being breached, but also land system change, um, biodiversity loss, which, which is way off the charts. Um, like nitrogen, bio, bio changes in our biogeochemical cycles, ocean acidification, um, mm-hmm. waste, plastics, and how all of these are deeply interconnected. You pull one thread, they all come with it, right? And There's so- some great graphics that show those boundary breaches. Yeah. Planet, planet health. Right. Planetary health. Yeah. Planetary health. Yes, that's right. Yep. And it's, it's the planetary boundaries framework. So pl- if people look up planetary yes. boundaries, there's nine planetary boundaries that, that they're watching. Um, Hold your heart, folks. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's, not, it's like, so, okay. <laughs> yeah. So again, it's like, you know, thinking of the earth as a living being, you know, global warming is sort of like the fever of our planet that is then deeply interconnected with all these other changes that are happening. And climate change is like, the homeostasis that our planet is trying to reach, but is having difficulty as it continues to have this fever that's heating it up. Mm-hmm. So, so anyways, I learned about planetary health and that made so much sense to me. You know, as you mentioned, nurses are very holistic discipline. And so thinking of not just symptom science in this way of one symptom, but seeing it as deeply interconnected with all these other symptoms that are happening to our planetary body and how they all reinforce each other too. And how, if, if we are working to, if we were only talking about climate change and I, and I, I hesitate saying only because climate change is, I mean, it is the biggest threat to life on earth right now. Right. And it kind of an overarching disciplinary issue. Right. And also, you know, again, as health professionals and as mm-hmm. all we're talking about it, it's important to couch it in this broader framework of planetary health so that we don't miss other things that are happening and other opportunities to mutually work together to build planetary health in these ways. So I learned a lot about um, that, those principles in that framework. There's another group that people can check out if they would mm-hmm. like to information called the planetary health alliance mm, yeah yeah 
And this is an, an international group of um, you know, governments, NGOs, health professionals, all disciplines, all hands on deck coming together and um, working collectively to advance planetary health. Um, planetary was, health alliance yep planetary health alliance so during my postdoctoral my my doctoral studies sorry i was a member of a group um, that worked to develop the planetary health education framework which is a trans, oh, cool yeah it's a transdisciplinary framework um so that we with across disciplines have a shared language for how we are teaching about planetary health in higher education settings oh great yeah so that's a wonderful resource. It's free to download. People can check that out too. So- I, I would, I'm going to interrupt here. And just for our listening audience, I would love to invite you to come to a green faith circle and, and talk about that. Talk about okay. planetary. Uh, that would be fantastic to learn more about that, how we can create a common language and educating people about planetary health. Fabulous. Yeah. Okay. I would love to. That would, that would be wonderful. It's a date. Yeah. yeah. Let's, let's do it. Um, so, so anyway, so with that broader framework and understanding, you know, for my dissertation, it was advised that I focus in on one aspect of, of planetary health as my education. Because it's a dissertation and you got to focus <laughs> in. Yeah. So, so, you know, so staying true to my story, you know, I'm still really wanting to understand what are the perspectives and strategies that public health nurses are implementing to advance climate justice with their community partners. And I wanted to understand, like basically do a snapshot, if you will, an assessment of what's happening around the nation and, and find the people that, unlike me, are being successful in this work and are doing this work and have the knowledge and expertise to inform um, how this needs to move forward. And so I, um, I, I, the methods that I used was something called participatory photo mapping. So first I'll back up and I recruited um, about 13 participants to, to basically teach me about what they've been doing to strategize around climate justice in their area. And so I had um, nurses and their community partners enroll in my study and their community bar- partners were like community-based organizations, right? So organizations that were run by residents in the neighborhood to improve quality of life. And they had formed like a, like a nonprofit and they were working in this way and they had, were partnering with a nurse to do this work. And so I was able to um, ask the nurses and their community partners to take pictures of what climate justice looks like and means to them. And then share those pictures and their stories with with me um, in a Zoom sort of interview setting like this. And I listened to the stories of nurses and their community partners across about seven states um, to learn about their perspectives on climate justice. Then we were able to um, map those photos um, across the nation um, and attach the narratives that so like the stories they told about each photo attach that to the photo itself and then put them all on like a google map so that we could see where these stories were taking place and and how they were happening and mm. so again, it was really bringing in this concept of of health but in place so that when i'm presenting these stories or sharing them with broader audiences they can actually see the places where these stories mm-hmm. are happening in context to maybe where they're living or where the another story is taking place um, so that's photo mapping. It was, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um, and then I, I just gathered the theme. So I, I analyzed the the transcripts and then I, I thought I saw this, the themes that were emerging around climate injustice, um, a transition between 
climate injustice to climate justice, what that feels and looks like. Um, and then what does climate justice look and feel like? So, you know, I think that a lot of times we hear the stories of what climate injustice looks and feels like and what the problems are, but people were also telling me stories of what justice looks and feels like and and what those stories were or what those visions were, you know, what what they were working towards. And that was really powerful also. So so I'm just I'm just processing what you've what you've just been sharing, which is um I, I love that sharing stories about transformation from climate injustice to justice. I think of in the justice space, the work of advocacy is, you know, really looking at systemic causes of things and advocating to change those and seeing how climate impacts so often hit the most vulnerable among us who have the least access to resources, education, knowledge, and a, and a way out or a way to protect themselves. So when you're talking about climate injustice, that being an injustice, do these communities find a way then to develop knowledge, gain better resources, come up with better solutions at work? Yeah, it's really interesting. So, um, so, so yes and no. The communities were at different points in 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 their journeys. So, some communities were still experiencing climate injustices. They were in that long struggle towards climate justice, but um, they had visions then for what that might look and feel like should they get it. And a lot of the themes and then there were communities that were there right had been in this space of like for example um i heard from a native um community um out on the east coast that had kind of been this very long struggle for decades right and this fight against state violence and this fight against colonialism and all of this and um and really had turned towards um working to develop food sovereignty for their nation, right? Yeah. Working, yeah. working like like developing a farm and really regaining some of these spiritual relationships within nature that they had lost due to um cons- like the pollution that was in their soils and their environment to, you know, really having a really toxic relationship with the environment because of the toxins that a corporation had spewed into their, um, into their food systems, into their waterways, into their soil. And so really then taking it upon themselves to, um, to purchase farmland, you know, and, and healthy soil area, and really just develop their own ways to regain these spiritual relationships with the nature that they had lost. And then doing that fostered the sense of belonging and protection and care within their own communities that really centered, planetary health ultimately right this really deep interconnection within nature so there's 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 those kind of stories that people that have been in a long struggle for yeah for a very long time to people who just you know starting to try to affect policy enforcement you know getting the policies that are in place to actually be enforced (laughs) getting the environmental (laughs) you know protection agency involved and notified that things are not going according to the way that they're supposed to be. So there's a wide spectrum, but I think that all of these stories were very, were very, very powerful. And there were some, you know, very strong themes that came out of these stories, you know, universal themes that I think um, we can really work with and learn a lot from in nursing. Can you, can you share what some of those themes are? 
Yeah. So, just off the top of your head, you remember? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. So just in, in, I guess, because it's top of mind right now, and maybe a theme for this, for this podcast was, you know, again, that severance from nature, something I brought up earlier that I'm seeing yeah. now because it came out through the stories that were shared with me. So, yeah. um, you know, this colonial severance from nature has mm-hmm. done so much damage and it really, supports um acts of state violence um being mm-hmm. in collusion with with governments <laughs> i mean i mean corporate climate pollution in collusion with governments and that produces this level of state violence then too so just the partnership and and the cooperation between local corporations and the pollution and the and just the the support that they receive from 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 state from local county state federal, all the way up, all the way down, all levels. Um, and, and the, and the lack of support for, for health and really this idea that we were speaking to health as a human right, really not being honored, um, across the nation in all of these stories. Then, so we're, we're talking about issues of, um, even before we get to that, I skipped one, because this is just half of my head, but supremacy, right? So again, the severance from nature supporting these, these ideas around, um, human supremacy, um, a lot of people talked about the more than human um, relations and, and the effects on animals, the effects on other species, and this need to kind of decenter, like you were like you were saying, this anthropocentric idea needs to be decentered into more ecocentric vision. People talked about that. Um, people talked about the cis heteropatriarchy. So, you know, in some environmental justice scholarship, people are talking about patriarchy and how this is tied with um, white supremacy and human supremacy, but in my in the stories I heard, where people are talking about heteropatriarchy, about cis heteropatriarchy, and yeah. some of, and some of the ways of, um, of of walking through the world in this work, being you know, uh, for example, someone who's maybe a lesbian, someone who's maybe two spirit, and and mm-hmm. the intersectional nature of oppressive forces and systems um, as their mm-hmm. for climate justice. Um, and then I mentioned white supremacy too, and there's a lot of you know. Mm. A lot about environmental racism and all of the work around that too. But then how that all of that directly translates to this allowance of corporate climate pollution par- partnered with um, governments, and then how that leads to morbidity, mortality, issues of despair within their communities. Yes. So that was sort of, if you will, the the full range of, and again, these are all themes that are mutually reinforcing, you know, if, if you were, if we're just addressing morbidity and despair in a community, but not addressing the root causes of this, then we're not going to be as effective if we're aware of something like severance from nature or supremacy or state violence as factors that lead to sense of despair in communities that lead to morbidity and mortality, right? They're all interconnected. So again, with the nursing um, holistic uh, discipline, we can really that's, that's not a huge thing for us to grasp in that too. Then there's this transition, right, from climate injustice to climate justice, which was described by multiple, most participants as a long, hard struggle, right? Yeah. So this is where the partnership comes in. And how do the partners support each other in in, in self-care, in collective care throughout this long struggle to persist in this movement, right, for climate justice? And then when we're thinking about the vision when, or people's experiences of climate justice, it, it a lot of it was about regaining the spiritual sense of interconnection within nature, um, yep. fostering a sense of belonging in their community, like they belonged where they live and they belonged with the people and with their neighbors, 
um, people felt protected. So sometimes local governments did step up. Sometimes policies were reinforced. Um, sometimes community protected each other and looked out for each other and you know had really high rates of social capital in their neighborhoods. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's also communities of care. So how did they care for each other? How were elders cared for? There are stories of people that built specific um, you know, food gardens at the height of um, of a wheelchair for their disabled elders in their community. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Each other in that way. Mm -hmm. And And kids, kids at that height too. (laughs) And and also Mm -hmm. like hiring children. So like seeking funding to hire and train children to educate their neighbors about, um, about having green spaces, about having um, how to interact with gardens. There's a lot of uh, use of gardens and, Mm -hmm in terms of ways to interact within nature and build a sense of connection. Mm-hmm. Um, planetary health also, especially for the participants identified as indigenous or native, they talked about how planetary health and protecting mother earth was a really the driving force for everything that they were doing, but also it was, you know, an outcome that they were seeking too. So it was like both the driving force and the outcome to all of this work is to seek um, the health of the planet and the health of the earth. So like a little girl said to me recently at a at a electrification electric car show, and I mentioned this before. She was wonderful. She was came from um, a migrant farmer family, mm-hmm. and she said, "I said, well, why do you care about protecting the earth, honey?" She said, "Oh, I protect the earth. She takes care of me. Mm-hmm. I take care of her. She takes care of mom. I take care of her. She takes care of Abba." Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, exactly. There it is. And and I mean, she was seven. It's like, she gets it better than all the gaslighting and greenwashing that's going on at COP28. I'm going to, I'm going to go back to something you were talking about there. The, um, the interdependence between um, uh, corporate pollution and state governments and going on up has become so enmeshed and so powerful that here we have these United Nation conferences every year that are trying to get nation states, yep. let's, let's say it, uh, guided by so many corporations, if not driven or bought by so many corporations to do one simple thing. Right. Get over fossil fuels, transition away from a fossil fueled economy globally and drastically, dramatically lower emissions. Stop spewing fossil Mm -hmm. fuels as atmospheric pollution into our very thin atmosphere, which is choking the planet and warming it. Like you said, a fever. Uh, We're running a very high temperature right now with a high fever and the planet's already showing the signs of someone who has a fever. They're going to burn you out. Yep. They're going to sweat you out. They're going to flood you out, right? Trying to get rid of this thing that's causing this illness. And I thought it was amazing that this year at COP nine, uh, COP 28, even with all the controversy around it, I think something like 95 countries had health care representatives present and there were health ministers yeah. uh, speaking for an entire day focused on how the climate crisis is a public health crisis. Um, what did you make of that? And what does that say to you about, I don't know, the validity, the importance of the work you're doing? It's it's incredibly important. And I was really excited to see the Alliance of Nurses for Healthy Environments um, at this, as well as Yay! the Health Alliance and other organizations. 
um, really, you know, in these conversations, health was not at the table at all until COP26, two years ago. We, you yeah. know, we, we were in attendance, not myself personally, but, you know, nurses have always been in, in attendance, but we were never really centered or a voice didn't really necessarily matter, wasn't even invited to the table. So, you know, a couple of years ago, I, I know, you know, I'll back up a little bit in, in, in prepare, preparation for COP26, I was a part of a, a global community of nurses organized by the Alliance of Nurses for Healthy Environments that came together and said, okay, what is our agenda? for this first time that health is going to be at the table. And we, um, looking back at all of the frameworks that are in existence and all the work that's been done in these climate justice movements for the past couple of decades, like looking at the just transition framework and the work of the Climate Justice Alliance and the Planetary Health Framework, we were able to pull together a global climate justice agenda for nurses. Um, oh, and this, oh, I'm sorry. Say that again. A global um, climate yeah, justice climate agenda for nurses. I believe it's called a global nurse agenda for climate justice, actually. Cool. So, yeah. And this can be found again at the, if people search up the Alliance of Nurses for Healthy Environments, it's on their website as well. So they can download the agenda and it's a set of principles to really inspire um, nurses and other health professionals around the world in this work for climate justice. So you know, our organization was able to present this work for the first time um, at COP26. And it just mm. was very, very exciting. And since then, there's been um, a real global movement, at least I well, within most professions, but nursing in particular is what I can speak to, to really um, infuse client, not just climate justice, but also broader planetary health within the work that we're doing to the point where now I'm working with the International Council of Nurses to develop a policy position statement, um, really infusing planetary health into the role and responsibility of nurses worldwide. And so we're really excited by that effort too. So to get yeah. That, yeah. So there's been work that's been happening since the first time health was able to, you know, be really officially present in, in the conference of the parties meetings. Now at 28, where health had an entire day, where not ministers. I mean, health is 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 the topic, like you said, is it's a it's human right. It connects nations, it connects people worldwide. It's it's our universal, you know, thing that makes us human and 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 really helps us to thrive. So I think it's a really Sometimes it's seen as a non-political topic. I would argue that because health by is political because we're pay, people have to pay for that, right? That people like we don't operate under the presumption typically that health is a human right. But I think that again, having this as a central focus for an entire day, I would love to see it be the the focus for the entire week that <laughs> that got meets. But yeah. maybe that's a future thing. I so I think that mm. again you know, having it really be central and, and prioritized within governments, I think is going to really highlight that too. Hopefully it'll speak to um, global health, you know, often presents as local health issues. So hopefully this idea globally that climate change is a health crisis will trickle down to local public health that now um, will be, is forced to recognize and name what they're already seeing in their neighborhoods that it's, the health effects are playing out. Um, yeah. And we don't have time on this podcast to enumerate all of the very uh, direct and, and well-documented irrefutable climate impacts that immediately affect human health, but, but they are numerous and they're increasing 
you know, including everything from respiratory illnesses to plagues and new viruses to heat stroke. I mean, all kinds of things and affecting food systems and water. I mean, it's just um, it so many direct ties to that. Yeah, exactly. And I'm, and I'm pleased to share also with listeners that now having these topics within at least in the, in the United States, within health profession uh, curricula and public health and in nursing is, is mandated now. It's required. So, oh, really? Um, yeah. So while, you know, when I started in 2018, it was like, oh, I can bring this in as a special thing that I can bring in. But uh-huh. now um, nurse, schools of nursing are required to teach about climate change and the health effects of climate change. And also um, all public health professionals are required to learn about not just climate change, but also about environmental injustices that are required to learn about colonization and the effects of health on colonization, all the things we've been talking about on today's podcast. So, mm-hmm. so I think that, you know, that is something that I really does bring me hope in this area because our future workforce is going to be educated and we're going to have many people entering these professions with hopefully the knowledge and the skills that they need to be able to feel confident and to effectively address what they're seeing um, in front of them and to be adequately resourced to do that. And so that's something else that I hope is people are thinking about from um, governments that are participating in COP28. And I know that within our own federal government, there's a lot of money going in right now to address the health effects of climate injustices and climate change and environmental injustices. And I really would love to see this, again, trickle down to the hyper-local level, which is where health professionals are seeing this day in and day out. And the more funding and resources we can get, the better. I think one of the most powerful um, advocacy arguments that that was taught to me that I have used, especially with public officials or with leaders, is the argument of public risk. And here mm-hmm. I think public health is a very important um, wedge in that because, you know, directly asking um, any representative, you know, what kind of public risk is acceptable to you? And I mean, what are you willing to risk among your constituents? And when you drill it down to the health of this child, of this family, of this community, the public health of this city, you know, you're representing us. And yet what yet, I mean, it becomes it becomes a real a really great leveraging point. Yeah. Going back to my original story, um, one thing I didn't share was that in 2018, we had a massive flooding event in Madison and surrounding um, areas too. We had, I think it was one, one and a half million damages to the public sector alone. Mm-hmm. Um, freeways were flooded, people's, you know, houses were flooded, people were sandbagging. And this flooding emergency that had started out chronically in in the frontline, kind of more low-lying floodplain, low-income areas in Madison, quick, you know, within about a few years, spread beyond the front lines to 2018, where now it was affecting everybody. And I just started to wonder, you know, if local public health nurses and local communities that were raising the alarm in these frontline communities had been listened to mm. in 2011, would mm. we better prepared as a city Mm. for the flooding crisis that happened in 2018. Somebody died. People were hospitalized. Mm -hmm. There really affected the health of our city. And it was, wasn't until that happened when the, you know, the wealthier, wider neighborhoods were also affected that then massive amounts of funding went in to dredge Mm -hmm. our lakes, to make our lakes deeper so they can Mm -hmm. better withstand 
increased precipitation and flooding emergencies from climate change. And so, you know, mm-hmm. it is critical. Again, this is this is why environmental injustices and climate injustices are so critical to pay close attention to, not just for human rights and civil rights, but because we're all interconnected. If we think this is only going to happen to, you know, the quote unquote vulnerable populations, that's absolutely wrong. Yeah, or people over there. It's like we all pay for it. We are all all affected. Everybody matters. Everybody matters. And when we be when we start behaving as if everybody matters, we're actually going to create real effective lasting change. Well, wow, I'm tempted just to to end it right there on that incredible note. But um, you know, I'm just I, I guess the last thing that I'm noticing is that nurses can have a powerful, powerful voice. It's it's been a career so often identified with women who are kind of, you know, like uh, not doctors. And that has changed so much. The face of nursing is so diverse. And I think the voice of nurses in these larger advocacy movements is really important. Why do you think people want to listen to nurses now? Well, nurses, you know, according to the Gallup polls, have always been the most trusted profession there is. And so there, there is that. We already have um, a voice that can be listened to and can be trusted. And so we need to really amplify that and utilize that for these emerging issues like planetary injustices and, and so on. Um, also, because we are in all of the settings. So nurses are where everyone is working, where there's occupational health, where they're learning, there's school health where they're playing, you know, like um, in acute care settings, in in public health settings, we are in tribal health settings, we are everywhere, the people are. And so I think that if as nurses, we receive this education and we are empowered to act on our assessments, which is looking at human health and the environment, and then to be able to know what to do to address this through partnering with the disciplines that we're already partnering with, to partner with the individuals, families, communities that we're working towards, uh, that we're partnering with. And then also to be able to utilize all of this knowledge to really inform um, policy development and policy enforcement to in systems change. So again, it's these intimate relationships that we have with the people that we're working with and to harness these stories can really um, effectively influence policy. And if the stories don't work, then community organizing does work. And that is also a skill that we learn in nursing. Wow. Fantastic. Wow. I want to thank you so much for your time. This is such a Uh, A a wonderful opening conversation. I know we're going to have many, many more conversations, but what a what a treat for our listeners today. Thank you so much, Dr. Jess LeClaire, for joining us on Blue Marble. And um, at this time, I'll I'll just say that that wraps up this installment of Blue Marble podcast. Um, Thank you to our listeners. Uh, If you value what you've heard here today, and I sure hope you do, then share this information with others. New Blue Marble podcasts air live on the third Friday of every month and are available for listening anytime after they air through our channel on Blog Talk Radio. You can go to www.blogtalkradio.com slash CSNP. Search for Blue Marble with Rev Charbert and you'll find the archive of these podcasts and click on any you want to hear or download for later listening. You can also follow podcasts on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash CSN 
podcasts. And finally, you can find a complete archive of hundreds of programs. Oh my goodness, so many by all of our excellent podcasters on the Circle Sanctuary website, which is always www.circlesanctuary.org. Just look under the CSNP tab. Until next time, this is Char Bear signing off. Thank you for all the good you do. Stay true and blue and hey, hope to see you in the green space.